here at the Vineyard, we have one of the incredible gifts of experiencing preaching by team. And so uh, different weeks, we have different parts of our team share. And today I get the privilege to introduce you to Brandon McCaleb. He serves on our board and serves as our treasurer. He and his family have been part of the life of the church for over 10 years. And uh, you might have seen him, his wife Kristen, hanging around, around Vineyard Kids but we are so grateful for him, and I will tell you, in the gift of friendship, Brandon, my life has been enriched because of you and the way you walk with Jesus, and today we are honored that you're going to be sharing uh, the rhythms of grace, perseverance. So y'all welcome Brandon as he leads us this morning. Yeah, thanks, everyone. It's great to be here. It's great to be here in front of you talking about something besides finances. Um, I promise I went through the slides last night and again this morning, no charts or graphs have made their way into the slides. If you see any pop in, just, just yell something out and we'll take it out right away. So um, I'm very careful about that. So I know myself well enough to know that when I'm talking from a stage, the sensation of that for me is about like getting onto my kid's hoverboard. And it's that I'm still kind of getting balanced and it's already halfway across the room. Um, so I'm going to revert to my Methodism of my childhood and say a little prayer that I know um, really well from those days. So if you will pray with me briefly. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. So today we're talking about perseverance. We're going to take a little different angle on it. We're going to go, go kind of the sideways route through it. Um, but we will get there, I promise. Um, we are going to be looking at Jeremiah 32 today. Um, I actually just randomly opened the Bible up to Jeremiah 32 quite some time ago, and this all has kind of been cooking ever since then. Um, and so I, I have, some, have some thoughts on that to share with you. So feel free to read along with me. I am going to skip around a little bit, but I'll, I'll give the verse numbers as I go. So starting with verse 2 in Jeremiah 32. The army of the king of Babylon was then besieging Jerusalem, and Jeremiah the prophet was confined in the courtyard of the guard to the royal palace of Judah. Now Zedekiah, king of Judah, had imprisoned him there, saying, Why do you prophesy as you do? You say, this is what the Lord says, I am about to give Zedekiah, king of Judah, I am, sorry, I, am about, I am about to give the city into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he will capture it. Zedekiah, king of Judah, will not escape the Babylonians, but will certainly be given into the hands of the king of Babylon, and will speak with him face to face and see him with his own eyes. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon, where he will remain until I deal with him, declares the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will not succeed. Con continuing at verse 6, Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Then, just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin. Since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. And I knew this was the word of the Lord. So redeem is an interesting word here. Um, we'll get to that a little later. But first, we're going to be doing this a lot. Let's try to put ourselves in Jeremiah's shoes here. So he's a prophet. Like he has the red phone. He has the bat phone. Like 
he's going to get the message directly from God and deliver it. It's a direct line. What kind of pressure would you be under in that situation? And unfortunately, the message he's been delivering so far has been, this is a hopeless situation, and if you fight, you will not succeed. And so he's in this kind of fancy jail situation out in the courtyard of the king. King doesn't know what to do with him. There's this prophet. He's giving bad news, but he's clearly a prophet. And so what do you do with him? And so you just kind of wonder in his position, like, what's next, God? <laughs> like, I'm here in jail, and the enemy is beating down the gate. And so what message am I going to bring? If I were him, I'd probably be thinking back through history of all of these amazing things that prophets have done in the past. You know, God, are you going to, are we going to have an, another thing like Passover? Are we going to, are we going to build an ark? Are, are we going to ride around the city and, and blow our horns? And what's this great message of victory and salvation and an amazing demonstration of your power that you are going to have me deliver to these people? But instead, imagine the message is, call a realtor. So it's a very strange situation to be in. So let's continue on with the story and see what happens. So starting from verse 9. So I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel and weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. I signed and sealed the deed. I had it witnessed and weighed out the silver on the scales. I took the deed of purchase, the sealed copy containing the terms and conditions as well as the unsealed copy, and I gave this deed to Baruch, son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of my cousin Hanamel and of the witnesses who had signed the deed and all of the Jews sitting in the courtyard of the guard. In their presence, I gave Baruch these instructions. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. So what Jeremiah was being asked to do is not going to be an a, um, unfamiliar thing. It's a strange thing to be doing at that moment. But it wouldn't have been a, an unfamiliar thing in terms of the law and the context that everyone was operating in at that time. What Jeremiah was being asked to be was a goel, a kinsman redeemer. And so he, as next of kin... It was his job to step forward for the family and actually purchase this property so that no one else would purchase it. And the idea with that is to show a lot of things in this. So in Mosaic Law, the land is incredibly important because it is the blessing that God gave. It's the guarantee that God gave with the relationship um, that, that, that the Israelites formed with him in the covenant. And the Mosaic Law is all about God being in control. And so everything belongs to God, and then God gives this blessing to the people he deemed it to go to. And so the whole idea of this kinsman-redeemer thing is to not drift too far away from what God set up. The people he gave this land to are the people who should have the land. And so if you're next of kin, you should go and try to keep that as close to the family as you can. And then, interestingly enough, even if it doesn't stay close to how it was supposed to be, how it was designed to be, there was this thing called the Jubilee every now and then, where all the property would then snap back and go to the places that God originally intended it to go. And so no matter what you did, it was going to go back to the way God designed it to be. And so 
this shows in the way that this is set up that God is absolutely in control, but that it's also important to maintain the community through the obligation that we have to our families to try to keep things as close to God's design as we can. And so Jeremiah was asked to be that role um, for his family. And so continuing on with the, with the story, um, verse 16. After I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So when I read this the first time, probably the first several times, I stumbled on the word ah. I didn't know what it meant, and I got it wrong. And so I'm going to quiz everyone here. These are three possible meanings of the word awe in the English language. You have awestruck, you have angry, and then you have alas. Those were three ways I could interpret awe. The Hebrew word is aha, so the NIV didn't have to work very hard. They just dropped, dropped a couple letters. But they didn't really give you the feeling of what he was trying to say at that moment. So, show of hands, no, no, no unreasonable answers, only one right answer. Who thinks that awe is awestruck in this situation? All right, that's some hands, some brave people. How about angry? Not as many hands. And alas? Oh, we have, we, have some, we have some good readers here. So my hand was up for number one. I thought it was awestruck. And the reason I thought it was awestruck is my default assumption about people in the Bible is that they have very, very good perspective. And so he knows that this is going to turn out right, right? Like the, the red phone rang, he answered it. Like he has to have that perspective on the situation that this is going to come out right, that God is majestic and in power and in control and this is going to be okay. But really more true to Jeremiah's form, I mean, he, he wrote a book with the title, he's lamenting the situation. He's saying, ah, ah, God, why? Why are we doing this? And so let's keep the mood of lamentation in mind as we keep on going. So carrying on from verse 24. See how the siege ramps are built up to take this city. Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened as you now see. And though the city will be given into the hands of the Babylonians, you, sovereign Lord, say to me, Buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? It, I think it, it's indicative of the depth of my bias that I got through that paragraph and still thought he was praising God. Um, it, he, you, can, you can feel the frustration. I, I just That's how strong I am about they have to have perspective, right? But they don't. This is a really honest, honest look at, at the relationship with God from someone who has a really incredibly close relationship with God. So continuing on, this is, um, this, is, this is the Lord talking now in verse 36. You are saying about this city, by the sword, famine, and plague, it will be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. But this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I will surely gather them from all the lands where I banish them in my furious anger and great wrath. I will bring them back to this place and let them live in safety. They will be my people and I will be their God. So 
in this speech from God, there are two moods in the way that God's talking that always stand out to me when I see them in the Bible and I look for them. And it's this kind of awesome and mad mood that God is definitely in when he says, is anything too hard for me? Um, if you haven't read the end of Job recently, I feel like a lot of times when we summarize Job, it's like, yeah, the bad stuff happens, and then his friends come over and they talk, and then it all works out. But there's a, there's a, a couple of chapters in the end of Job where God's just yelling at everyone and saying, why, why are you taking this strong of a position about how you know and I don't know and you can do and I can't do and you're right? And it, he, he really brings that kind of, do you realize who I am? Because I know who you are. And so I would really like you also to know who you are. And so that's a, a, a priceless thing. I, I, I hope to never be on the receiving end of that personally, um, but, but it's good for me. I mean, it, it, it keeps me in line so I don't get into that situation with God, I suppose. But then there's also this mood of excitement. And I don't normally think when I'm thinking of, of God as like that God is excited, like because it's, he's such an absolute presence. But every now and then you can see that come through. And I, I kind of translation hopped a little bit to get the exclamation mark. But in, in Revelation, there's a, there, there's a verse toward the end. And he says, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And I always, if I wrote the Message Bible, I would tack on, isn't that cool? <laughs> um, that's always how that feels to me when I, when I read that verse. It's one of my favorites. And so I, I love feeling that mood of excitement when you feel that God is really like, he can see it and he's trying to make you see it. And so that's a little bit of what's coming in the rest of this passage. So let's continue on reading in verse 39. I will give them, this is God talking, I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. And I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never turn away from me. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. Isn't that beautiful? God's just singing the covenant over this entire situation. He's just saying, this is my design. This is how I see all of this going. This is where this is headed for, for all of you. What's Jeremiah focusing on in, in this situation? He's focusing on the consequences of what they did. He's not focusing on what God is going to do for the people. And God is focused on restoring his relationship with the people. So this made me think with all of this talk of covenants and, and promises about contracts. So contracts in the human world are the way that we form covenants between ourselves. And I think about when I read contracts, it's actually really surprising. You get this like 100-page contract and you start reading through, and the part of the contract that says, you're going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and that's the contract, is really, really short. Like even in a mortgage or something where it's just absolutely stunning how many pages there are in it. It's like, you know, we'll give you money and you'll pay us. Like, like it's, it's, a, it's a pretty simple arrangement. Then you have the hundreds of pages to deal with all the things that go wrong. 
to try to restore the situation. That what if I'm late on the payment? What if you don't give me the money? What if the, all of these things happen? What if, what, if, what if someone comes and says the house is theirs and not yours? And all of these things that we're just trying to deal with all of the little eventualities down the way. That's what takes all the time. That's what's complicated about the contracts is dealing with things when they go wrong, when they go upside down, when they get flawed and human. God's contract is so simple. It's just, you will be my people and I will be your God. And he hands you a copy of that, and then things go wrong, and God says, okay, I have another copy. <laughs> you will be my people, and I will be your God. Okay. It's like, I invented trees. Like, we can do this for a while, you know? <laughs> like, I, I have a good supply here. And so God just keeps going, restoring the same relationship, and that's the sovereignty and power of God, and that's the power of God's relationship with us, is he just keeps going. He just keeps saying the same thing. He doesn't have to change. He doesn't have to adapt to what we're doing, what we've done. He just keeps going because what he's saying is true and absolute. And so finally, getting this to perseverance I feel empowered to persevere in my life because I feel that perseverance from God. And that is a powerful thing for me in my life, is I can always feel that he's just there, just saying and doing the same things over and over and over, and I'm doing the same wrong things over and over and over, and he restores the relationship and in an absolute way. And so I find that to be a really powerful thought for, for my walk with God. And so one mental picture that comes to mind when I think about these kinds of things comes from my daughter Claire when she was a baby, before she could walk. And she didn't have a lot of interest in crawling. It's slow. There are people around, like, why, won't I, why wouldn't I just put up my hands? And so she would just put up her hands and look at you, whoever was closest, hands up. And you would go up and pick her up and get her, get her settled under your arm, and then she would go. And then you'd walk that way, and then she'd go. And then you'd turn and walk that way. And she would just walk you over to wherever she wanted to go, and then you put her down, and she was there, and there we go. And what's so beautiful about that is the, the way that that works in, in a child's mind. Because to me, when she would do that, there was this sense of, well, you can walk. <laughs> like, isn't the, you're my parent. Like, isn't this your job? Like, you can just do this for me, and you should. And so we always called that calling a taxi. And when I think about these kinds of complicated situations and the way that we struggle in our lives, and I think about perspective, that's when I need to call the taxi because I just can't see the big picture. None of us really can. I mean, even the guy who's getting the messages directly couldn't see the big picture. Um, and so I have to just acknowledge that. I have to own that I'm not going to be able to see this picture. It's far too big, far too complicated, and I'm far too limited. But God can help us when we ask because he's our father and he can see He's, he's in that position. And so 
we need to ask him for that perspective when we need it in our lives. And this is something that's really translated for me when I think about depression. Um, a lot, a depression manifests in a lot of ways for a lot of people. Um, but in my mind, depression is oftentimes a struggle with perspective because you can only see in this little box. And people are buying you the little posters from Target that say, look on the bright side. And, and, and the answer, if you're really in that situation, is what bright side? Because you can't see it. And so you just, you can't see the forest for the trees. But God can be there for us in those situations. He can help if we ask him and he can give us guidance, and he can also help us understand the why and the how, which when you're in those kinds of low points can often be a really big deal to just feel a little taste of the why or the how. And so in a hopeless situation, we can always look for those places where we're helpless, and we can call the taxi and get God to help us out. So a couple of things to reflect on for all of us. Are there parts in our lives that feel hopeless or unattainable? I feel like a lot of times those are the things that we don't want to think about and we don't want to notice and we purposefully don't think about them and notice them. And so I would encourage you to take a moment and see those places and call them out and say, I can't walk. <laughs> I can't see. I don't have this perspective. And then prepare to ask for God's help in those situations to empower me and to give me the strength, the perspective, the perseverance to keep going in those situations. And then I would also say that we all need to be really careful to notice when we see God pursuing us because it is very easy to not notice that too, because he's just following us saying that same thing over and over, but he's pursuing us. It's an active thing. He's trying to bring us back. He's trying to help us. And so I think keeping our eyes open to all of those things and then keeping our hearts open to acknowledge when we can't do the thing and we need help is so important. And so one funny thing that happened as I was looking around at things about this passage, I did a Google Maps search for Anathoth, which is where the land was that, that Jeremiah bought. And then I'm not, a, I'm not a biblical scholar by any means, so um, I, I don't have any good information for you from authority. Um, the only authoritative information I could find on further investigation is that nobody knows where Anathoth is. Um, but for some reason, when I searched Anathoth, I think it was kind of like Anathoth Avenue somewhere in Jerusalem, this pizza restaurant popped up. <laughs> and I saw it on the map, and I knew that this isn't where the land is, but it could have been where the land was. <laughs> and I think about it because as God was singing that covenant over that situation and saying, hey, bury that deed, have it sealed, have it buried in a jar so that it lasts a long time and you can dig it up. What is a long time to God? Like digging up that, that jar was not that far in the future <laughs> compared to what he could see. And so I imagined that he was seeing the pizza restaurant <laughs> because that's exactly how far 
God can see over what we can see. That he hasn't just solved your problem. Like he's playing all of the games way, way out there. And so I, it has a good star rating. And so if I'm ever in that part of Jerusalem, I am kind of interested what the pizza is like there. And so now, would you stand with me? So the Goel, the Kinsman Redeemer, is a very Old Testament topic, but it is not an Old Testament reality. It is also a New Testament reality. And the best Kinsman Redeemer, the ultimate Kinsman Redeemer, was Jesus. Because Jesus did all of the things that Jeremiah did, just bigger and better. He said, this one's mine. He claimed me as his next of kin. He said, I am one of, of, he is one of mine. He paid the price for all of us. And then he redeemed us back into a relationship with God and into God's blessing. And if you are in a place where you need perspective on things, you need the power to persevere, you're struggling with depression or other difficulties like that, there are experts in taxi calling who will be at the front here to pray with you. And I would encourage you to come and get their help to raise that question and that discussion with God. And if you have not yet formed a relationship with God, I pray that you can develop a sense of his perseverance for you, that you can feel him pursuing you. And you can bring, he can, you, can, you can allow him to bring you into relationship with him. And so please do come to the front if you need prayer. Um, I will close us with one more little prayer from my Methodist past. Now unto the one who is able to do all things, be all honor and glory. And may his peace rest and abide with each of you today, this week, and forevermore. Amen.